responses from that. We're going to start off tonight with our theological question of the week. So everybody, I'd like a drum roll, please. And here's our question. Okay. Oh, sorry, we gotta film this. Oh, wait, we're gonna have to do the drum roll over again. I hate, I hate to do this twice, but we're gonna have to do it over again. Okay, everybody, <clears throat> wait. This is how they do it in show business, right? You have to like actually wait till the camera's rolling, and then okay, everybody, drum roll, please. Here's our theological question of the week. Okay, dear regenerate, what are good resources for looking into the original translations of the Bible? Ooh. Original. Okay, uh, well, uh, let's go ahead and answer this. So I have two minutes to answer um, based on my limited knowledge. Okay, here we go. Three, a two, a one. Oh, wait. No, no, I'm just kidding. Five, four, three, two, and one. Here we go. Okay, so what are some good uh, resources for looking at the original translations of the Bible? Okay, first of all, I just want to get this out of the way. Is there one original translation of the Bible? No, there is not. In fact, the Bible was written in Three different languages. There's ancient Hebrew. Some of the, some of the Old Testament is also in Aramaic, and then there's some in ancient. Uh, mostly, all the New Testament is in Koine Greek. The Old Testament was also translated into Koine Greek, and that's a version we call the Septuagint. Okay, um, so those those are like the written. Now those are the originals. But the thing is, we don't actually have the originals. And some of you are like, oh, no, my faith is not is now on shaky ground. I didn't know there was no original version of the Bible. But that's because these are ancient texts we're talking about. We're talking. Thousands and thousands of years old. So when you do that, when you're when you're putting together an ancient text, what you do is you collect all the extant manuscripts, right? Those are the ones that are like within a hundred years, within a, a few hundred years of when it was allegedly written. And then from those extant manuscripts, you create, uh, you are able to ascertain what the original document said. The crazy thing about the Bible is that it is ninety nine percent in agreement with itself. That means those texts, those extant texts are at 99% agreement. That is crazy. That is a crazy good batting record. That is that is batting 900%, like batting a 900. It is insane as far as ancient texts go. Now, as far as like things for translating it, I would uh, highly recommend if you're ever interested in just looking up more of how to read the Bible, go to blueletterbible.com. It's free. You can actually look at the original text. It's kind of cool. If you're really nerdy, then you can pick up the United Bible Society 5th edition of the Greek text. You can also pick up the Biblia Hebraica Stuttgartensia. Or you can pick up a Reader's Hebrew Bible, which actually gives you a definition of the words down below. However, you might not be able to read the script until you actually learn how to read the alphabet in those languages. So if you're not interested in learning a new alphabet, I recommend BlueLetterBible.com. It's a good one. Also, Logos Bible Software, but it's really expensive and it cost me thousands of dollars. And the only reason I got it is because I went to seminary and it was included in my tuition statement. The end. Woo! I made it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for uh, for like humoring me with your theological questions of the week. We love those. Uh, it's kind of cool to just like look at these things and kind of go. There's always like those like weird random questions you have about Christianity that you're not quite sure who to ask. So if you're not quite sure who to ask those questions of, feel free to ask us here at Regenerate. Um, I have a Master's of Arts in Biblical and Theological Studies from Western Seminary. Uh, I spent a long time studying the Bible, studying a lot of language-related stuff. So if you're interested in learning more about that, um, or if you have questions, send them in to regeneratelcse at gmail.com. All right. That said, uh, tonight, I want to talk to you about a moment 15 years ago. You can go to, the, to that first slide there. Anybody know what this is? Probably not. Probably not. Um... But this is, this is the logo for 105.7 The Peak. 105.7 The Peak. 
was a radio station out of, uh, I'm going to take this off for a second. Um, 105.7 The Peak was a radio station in Spokane, Washington, and it played, it was Spokane's number one alternative rock station, and they had the best alternative rock hits. Now, th now keep in mind, this is the early 2000s, I want you to, 15 years ago, I'm a sophomore in high school, right? This is a big deal. 105.7 The Peak is like, it, it has all the great artists. We're talking Doo Doo Dolls, you know, Blink-182. The All-American Rejects, you know, Alanis Morissette, Michelle Branch, Avril Lavigne. Okay, you guys are looking at me like deer in headlights. You know, whatever. You know, you know if you know. Anyway, these, these are one of the artists that I, grew, that I listened to religiously. My brothers, and I had two brothers. My brothers and I listened to this station religiously. And so then, um, but then, um, I kid you not. So this was uh, exactly 15 years ago because it was March of 2004, you know, we're listening to the peak, and we we listen to it like every single day. So that's where we listen to a lot of the bands that we we uh, that highly influenced our musical tastes. And uh, and you guys, it's kind of funny. The older you get, the more you look back and go, "Wow, all the stuff in high school. Like maybe the music wasn't that great, but for some reason, it's my favorite." Um, anyway, we are we're listening to that, but little did we know that March thirty first is it March? Yeah, March is thirty one days, right? Yeah, March thirty first. That is my wife's birthday. I should know that, okay? I know there's 31 days in March because her birthday's on the... Okay, yeah. March 31st, 2004, I went to bed fully expecting to wake up the next day and listen to alternative rock hits. I was waking, planning on waking up the next day and listening to, to Jimmy Eat World and Nirvana and Green Day and Foo Fighters and all that good stuff. I was expecting that. But when I woke up the next morning, April Fool's Day, 2004... We, I just, all I hear is like shrieking, is like, you know, blazing guitar solos and some vocalist going, yeah, probably wearing leather pants and like freaking huge hair, you know, and I was like, what happened to my station? It's like, that was White Snake on 105.7, the buzzer. Ah, ah. What happened to my radio station? What happened? Does anybody, like, you guys probably, th th this was like, this shows you how old I am because we had a radio station that we listen to. You guys just stream everything. So you know, whatever happens to be on the radio, you're like, I'll turn it off and put my own music on. But back then you listened to the radio. And so we, I remember they turned on this music and we were like, dude, what did they do to our main music? They took it away. I wanted to wake up and sing, I found the reason for me to change who I used to be. I was expecting Hoobastank, but instead what I got, like, which, you're like, Hoover stink? That sounds like it stinks, because it's stink. Anyway, um, I was fully expecting that, but instead, what I got was, like, 1980s, like, butt rock. You know, the kind where the lead vocalist is always like, yeah! And, like, and dresses really effeminately, and it's very strange, and the guitarist is like, and all he's doing is just shredding the entire time, and everything's a drum solo, and, yeah, it just was not my style. And I was like, this is not cool. This is so not cool. 105.7. Peak. Now, this granted, it's April 1st, right? So, what are we thinking? It's an April, Fool, like, April Fool's Day joke, right? So, we'll just we'll sleep it off. It was just a joke. They're not actually going to do this. We wake up April 2nd. They're still playing butt rock. They're still playing hair rock. They're still playing like White Snake and Def Leppard and stuff. I'm like, what is going on? They changed. They got canceled, is what happened. They, they got canceled and they got changed into an 80s classic rock station. Now, some of you guys are like, hey, I'm okay with 80s rock. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool, kind of cool now. But like, you know, like there's that gap where something that's like 
10, 15, 20 years old is like not that cool. That's kind of what this felt like. And it was like, okay, I feel like I've been betrayed. Okay, I've been betrayed because my favorite thing got canceled. It was gone. Tonight, we're going to be talking about getting canceled. Turn to somebody and say, you're canceled. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. You don't have to. Don't say it forcefully, though, if you do. Anyway, and I just want to remind you guys, as we go through this, in Regenerate, if somebody's preaching something that really speaks to your soul, you got to say something like, canceled. Yeah. yeah, like I'm canceled. There we go. That's, that's, that can be what you yell at me tonight. If you're really upset with what I say tonight, with what I share, then you can be like, you're canceled. That's okay. Jesus never gets canceled. His story goes on. A to the men. So let's turn to Amos chapter 7, everybody. Amos chapter 7. The title tonight is Getting Canceled. Turn to Amos chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 1 through uh, and, and then we're going to go all the way through chapter 7 to the beginning of chapter 8 and verse 3. And uh, so we're going to, why don't we stand and read this first and then we'll unpack scripture. Are you guys okay with learning from scripture tonight? Yeah. Anybody okay about, about hearing the word of God from Amos tonight and continuing to hear what God has to say to us? Let's, let's stand for the word of God and let's read this together. Amos chapter 7, starting in verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, Lord, oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Verse four, everybody agree. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Verse 10. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from this land. Chapter 8, verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. And the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. 
The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. This is God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment, into this place. God, we don't, uh, we don't pretend to understand everything the scripture says. We need you, God. We need you to explain this to us. We need you to teach us, Lord. And not only do we need you to teach us, but we need you to empower us to live lives that are in alignment with the gospel. So God, show yourself tonight through the words of scripture. We submit to you and ask you to have your way. So Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody who trusts in Jesus said, amen. All right, have a seat, have a seat. So, here we are, Amos chapter 7. For the last several chapters, uh, we started in Amos chapter 1, and, and Amos, in the beginning of this, this is really interesting, because this is one of the few parts of Amos that's actually a narrative. A few parts of Amos that actually tells a story, right? And so at this point in the book of Amos, we, we know just, we know very little about him. He is, we know that he's a shepherd from the village of Tekoa, which is south of Jerusalem. Uh, we know that he is, uh, he's not a prophet, uh, per se, not, not a professional spiritual person. We also know that the Spirit of God came, has come upon him. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll read examples of when the Holy Spirit would fall on people, and they would be affected in such a way that they would speak the words of God. Now, some of you guys would be like, wow, so he's speaking God's word. Yeah, that's what it means to prophesy. And you might go, well, what is, how, do, how do you hear God? How do you prophesy? Well, actually, what's interesting about tonight is actually we're going to pick up on that a little bit. What does it mean? How did, how did Amos hear from God? How did he speak that word to other people? How did he get the boldness to do that, right? Um, what's interesting is this, is uh, Amos comes up against something difficult. He comes up against what we would traditionally call opposition. Somebody say opposition. So at this point, he has been preaching against God's people, which is kind of weird, right? Because God called Abraham and said, I'm going to bless the entire world through your offspring. And everybody's like, woohoo, sounds great. And in Amos chapter 1, Amos is prophesying against all the nations surrounding Israel. This is in the ancient Middle East. And he's like, all you guys are doomed. And all the Israelites are like, yeah, yeah, rain it down. You know, like, let them have it, Amos. Give them both barrels. And then he turns and he goes, but I'm not done. You're next. You know, and he points right at Judah and right at, right at uh, uh, Israel. And he's like, you guys also are not going to escape the judgment of God. Because, but then he explains, and we've been unpacking this through the last few chapters, the reason God is proclaiming judgment, the reason he's saying there's a dangerous thing coming, horrible things are going to happen, is because he is desperately attempting to warn his people because he loves them. And he wants to rescue them from it. So he's saying, if you don't repent, the, the curses of Deuteronomy 28 are going to fall on you. You're going to lose everything that you have fought so hard to gain. And at this point, the people of Israel are feeling pretty good about themselves. Economically, they're doing okay. Right? And, and they, they feel like, hey, we're pretty secure. But the problem is, spiritually, they're not okay. How many of you guys know that somebody can look good on the outside, but be no good on the inside? That's the thing. And so and Amos is addressing this. And so as he's preaching, now we finally get to see a little window into Amos's life. And we're going to see three things at work here. Number one, we're going to see the intercession of Amos. Number two, we're going to see the opposition to Amos. And then three, we're going to see the resilience of Amos. So first, let's go to verses 1 through 9 and talk about the, the intercession of Amos. So the first thing we realize is that God is speaking to Amos in, in the vision, okay? So he's awake, 
But God is speaking in such a way that he is seeing things happen before his very eyes, almost as if he was in a dream, right? He's seeing these things happen before his eyes. And Amos, and, and what we see in this chapter, in this portion, is that God gives Amos four prophetic visions. There's actually a fifth one later on in the book. But he gets interrupted partway through. So in the first, the first two show, uh, and, and a lot of commentaries kind of point to this, the first two visions kind of show things that have already happened historically in Israel. And the next two kind of show about things that are about to happen, things that are going to happen. How many of you guys know that God knows not only what's happening in your life now, he actually knows what's going to happen in your future. Amen? God knows all things, past, present, and future. And did you know also that God has a desire to communicate with you about your past, your present, and your future? That's what we call the gift of prophecy. God wants to speak to you about who you are, who you were, and where you are going, and who you are going to be in Christ, because God sees in you what you could never possibly see in yourself. Sorry, that's another sermon. Anyway, the intercession. So first we see the intercession of Amos. So Amos intercedes for Israel in these visions. So first he sees a vision of locusts in verses 1 through 3. Now this is after the king's mowing. You're like, what is that, like the king mows his yard at a certain time of year or whatever? And, uh, and it is a little bit interesting to try to understand what that means. But we have to remember that this is what Amos is talking about when he sees a vision of locusts coming. This is a spiritual vision. This is a, there's a lot of symbolism. When you read prophetic literature in the Bible, you're reading like, you know, a lot of people freak out about, oh, the book of Revelation and Daniel and, oh, is, is the end coming? Is this, is this it? COVID-19, obviously, is the beast and like, there's all that. Yeah. And people try to make all these connections between like the Bible, the symbols of the Bible. It's like, calm down. Okay. A lot of this is spiritual symbolism. We have to keep that in mind. We have to keep in mind the context. So Amos sees this vision of locusts. The king in this situation is God himself. And what we know from 2 Kings 13, 3 through 4, is that Israel has already suffered some difficulties. The kingdom of Syria has oppressed them several times, and so they have already been mowed, as it were. So the king has already, the king's grass, as it were, his field, his land has already been mowed once, and now God's saying, locusts are going to come. Now some of you are like, who cares, what's a locust? It's like a grasshopper, right? Yes, but it eats literally everything. There will be nothing left, Okay. There's going to be so little left that it's going to be unrecognizable. That's what Amos is trying to communicate. And so, what, or rather what God is communicating to and through Amos, it's going to be an elimination of the hope of prosperity. Whereas before people could trust in their economics, whereas before people could trust in their leaders, now he's saying, I'm going to take away that hope. And the response, I love this, Amos' response is to intercede. His response is to pray for the people of God, not to just be like, well, I'm just going to throw a towel in it. That's it, you know. Because this is the interesting thing. In the 21st century, we live in an era um, when, uh, you know, when I was talking about 105.7, the peak being canceled, right? The word canceled carries a totally different connotation now than it did 20 years ago. When you heard the word canceled in like 2001, 2002, 2003, you just thought, oh, like my favorite TV show got canceled. Now when we hear the word canceled, we think of this. We need to attack a person to ruin them. We need to, this person has said or done something that deserves to be uh, just completely, they deserve to be defamed, so we will remove their influence by removing followers, right? And what's interesting, and it's interesting because throughout the book of Amos, Amos has been making clear that God's people should be pursuing justice. And can I just say something? That it is clear from the book of Amos, we, the series that we've been preaching is called Just Right. 
Just equals right. And can I just say something that the church, the people of God, a.k.a. the church in this time and in this day and time should be leading the way when it comes to justice. We should be leading the way on conversations that lead to racial reconciliation. We should be leading the way on loving the immigrants. We should be leading the way on empowering women. We should be leading the way in valuing children and families. We should be leading the way, but we're not in a lot of ways. And the world sees that gap. They see the gap between what the, what we're supposed to believe and what we actually act like, and they go, hypocrisy. And so, the, and it's, so it's very easy to look at that and just, so when somebody does something, it's really easy to just look at that and, and be appalled at that. But I love that Amos actually intercedes for the people. He intercedes for the people. So into this space where the church is not meeting the is not meeting the demands of what the gospel requires of us, up comes Generation Z, right? Up comes you guys. And so what, we, what do we do? Well, we have this amazing thing called the internet. We can communicate quickly. We can quickly get the word out. So what do we do? Well, when something hurts our feelings or something uh, is wrong, what we'll do is we'll stand up to it, which is an admirable thing. Stand up for what's right. But then at the same time, a lot of times the answer is cancel culture. What we'll do is just cancel out the voices of those we disagree with. But then we have to ask ourselves, in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel and hostile to the church, what happens when you're on the other side of getting canceled? What happens when you're the one who says something or does something where somebody is like, I don't want to listen to you anymore. I'm going to turn the public eye against you. What do you do? What do you do? Well, Amos is going to, Amos gives us some clues here. The first time mean, he intercedes, first of all, his response is interception. He, in intercession. He pleads with God for forgiveness. He's like, please, please forgive. And then it says the Lord relents. That word, uh, uh, the, the word there is nacham. Uh, Actually, uh, it appears 108 times in the, in the Old Testament. 46 times it's used of God. So God is the one who's relenting. It can mean to feel remorse. But theologically, of course, we know that God is good all the time. So he never feels remorse about the things that he does. But what he does do is that he, he will relent. He will change his mind. What I love about God and what a lot of people miss about the Old Testament is I see a picture of a God who's always looking for excuses to show grace. He's always looking for excuses to show grace. He's looking for an opportunity to give people a second chance, even when they don't deserve it. And so he says, locusts are coming. And Amos goes, wait. And he goes, okay, I'll wait. I won't do it. And then we see the next vision is fire. There's a, the world in this sort of, and it says it consumes the ocean. You're like, whoa, that's a really... It's like a really hot fire, right? Um, it's actually not necessarily referring to the literal ocean. Again, we have to move away from the literal. What does this figuratively mean? Well, the ocean can symbolize a lot of the nations outside of Israel. The land symbolizing, of course, God's chosen people, Israel, and their land. And he's saying this fire is going to consume land and the deep alike. So it starts to devour everything about. So there's going to be a devouring of land. There's going to be utter destruction. Okay? The locust eliminates any hope, this destruction, and then we have another symbol of fire. And so what does Amos do? He says, wait. He, so he says, Lord, cease, right? Oh, God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small, verse 5. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord. And then comes the vision of the plumb line. Does anybody know what a plumb line is? Charles, better know. Yeah, Charles knows what this is. Okay, so if you're in construction, you use plumb lines for a lot of things. 
Um, mainly, like when you're okay, one of the one of the first things that comes to mind for me is I worked on a house one time. That was the summer I found out I'm not very good at working on houses. But anyway, um, uh, I worked on a house one time, and we and so we used the plumb line, right? The plumb line has a weight on the end, and it dangles down, and enables you to see whether a wall is crooked or straight, whether it is whether it is perfectly vertical or not. And everything depends. Everything in the building depends upon it being right. Everything has to be plumb. That's the terminology, am I right? So everything's got to be plumb. And so what God says is he comes up to this wall, and, and so Amos sees him walking up to this wall with a plumb line in his hand. He says, Amos, what do you see? And he's like, uh, a, a plumb line. And, he's, and he says, yes, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Jeroboam is the king. So he's speaking out against authority. He's saying the, this, the authority that's currently residing over Israel is doomed. This plumb line, okay, this plumb line represents God's law and his sovereign will, his desires. And he's saying, you guys are completely out of whack. You're missing it. You're missing it. The people of God are missing it. They're not caring about people who are in need. Instead, they're, they're caving to the idolatries of the world. They're caving to what everybody else is showing. They, the rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. There's no such thing as any kind of sexual or moral ethics in, my, in, in the land. Nobody's obeying God. Nobody's worshiping him in spirit and in truth. People are worshiping him outwardly, but they're fake. And God is going, I'm putting, look, when I look at the plumb line, you guys are way out of whack. And I'm not going to ignore it any longer. And I'm telling you this because I'm merciful. So, and then interestingly, there's no response. Amos is like, what? At this point, like, you know, I twice he has said, God, please relent. And, uh, and, but interestingly, it doesn't record him saying anything after this. And immediately it goes into a little story. And this is where we get into the opposition. The opposition to Amos. We see that Amos is opposed in verse 10, right? Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. Now, is he wrong? Is he misquoting Amos? No. He's saying exactly what he, what, what he said, but he said, Jer Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. Now, he did, notice, notice, he did twist a slight thing. Amos said, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam, the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Everybody say house. Everybody say brick house. No, um, um, he's going to rise against the house. Now, house refers to a family, okay? His family line, his legacy as a ruler is going to end, and he's saying, no, he is... He, and so Amaziah the priest goes, Do you hear? Do you hear about this? Did you, did you see what he did you see what he was posted on Twitter? Hold on, let me pull it up. And then he's like, check this out. And then he shows the king and he's like, yo, Amos just gave, just ripped you a new one publicly, and it's personal. Both those, he says, Amos is attacking you personally, and Amos is attacking you publicly. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I hear you know, when you hear somebody attacking you personally, I mean. It's not, it's not business, it's personal. But if it becomes public, not only is it personal, it's also business. Especially when you're the king, right? And so he's, is he going to sit there and just take it like, oh, well, that's really interesting that he would say something like that and, and claim to be God. Did you say a lot of people were listening to him? Yeah. Oh, okay, well, it's not a real big deal. You know, I'm the king. No! He's going to freak out, right? He's going to be understandably upset by all of this. And so he's saying, and 
So he is slandered by Amaziah, by Amaziah, who takes his words and twists them and says, did you hear? He thinks, he says, you're going to die by the sword. And everybody's listening to him. Nobody can bear the things that he's saying. So, so he goes to Amos and he says, get out. And this is the point where Amos gets canceled. Amos gets canceled. Nobody wants to hear you, Amos. The things you're saying, that's inflammatory rhetoric. The things that you're saying are untrue and that it's, it's fake news and nobody wants to hear it, okay? The things that you're saying are wrong. They're personal and they're public. And so he cancels Amos. Now, now interestingly, it's Amos is not going to be the last person to get canceled. We read lots of stories of people who are, uh, who are canceled throughout, throughout uh, the scripture. There's Jeremiah, Jeremiah 26, 8 through 12, who gets shut down for prophesying against Judah. The apostles got shut down in Acts 4.8 for speaking the name of Jesus and were told to stop talking. Jesus himself in Matthew 8.34 was told to leave. We can't shut you up. We can't stop you from performing miracles. And we don't like the way that you cast demons out of this guy who has been struggling with demonic oppression for his entire life. Could you please leave? Go away. See, here's the problem. Amaziah commands him never to prophesy. He commands him, no, don't do the thing that God has called you to do. I know it might be burning in your bones. I know that you might feel a certain way, but I'm telling, but you need to stop. Never, you may never speak again. And it's like he, he is publicly just, he is public making a public disgrace of, of Amos so that he never speaks again. But here's the problem. I, I just feel like this is important to say. The problem with cancel culture, what it does is that it actually, Jamie and I were actually talking about this recently, that Cancel culture, it doesn't actually produce repentance, and it doesn't actually produce re reconciliation. Right? It doesn't. Because it doesn't produce repentance because suppose you get caught saying something that was sexist or something that was racist or get for something that happened in your past and so it's brought to light publicly. What do you do? Well, even if you didn't really care about the incident, you still have to make it look like you did. But is that genuine repentance? Well, that only time can tell. Most of all, it doesn't produce reconciliation. All it produces is retribution, and that is anti-gospel. The gospel is not retribution against people. people you sinned, you screwed up, I'm shutting you down, I'm, sh I'm shutting your voice, I'm constricting you, you may no longer ever speak again. That is not the gospel. See, the gospel is willing to have a difficult conversation. The gospel is willing to enter into those conversations and go, you know what? I disagree with what you said, but let's talk. Because you cannot, can I just say, you cannot live in such a state of fragility that you are not able to have a hard conversation with somebody. Because you know what? You're wrong about stuff too. I'm wrong about stuff. If you think that you have the corner on what is right and what is wrong, and you are never able to open your eyes or open your ears to somebody else, you've got it wrong. That is not the gospel. And if you shut down those voices out of your life, you're actually operating in a spirit of retribution, not a spirit of reconciliation. God calls us. Paul said, God called me to a ministry of reconciliation. That means making things right between people who disagree, people who have sinned against each other. That means the victim needs to be able to speak and the perpetrator needs to be able to be forgiven. How can that happen if the conversation is only one-sided? So Amos is opposed, and Amaziah cancels him. And I love this, though. Look at what Amos does in response. 
he goes, look, okay, <laughs> let me clarify. And uh, I can imagine like Amos is sort of a, he is not like a, he is not a white collar guy, okay? He is a blue collar shepherd, okay? He is like a, he is like a dock walker from, from, the, from the Boston Harbor, okay? And he is like, look, I, I, I didn't sign up for this gig, okay? I, I didn't. I just, let me explain something to you, okay? He is, he is a, he is a mill worker from North Idaho who's seen things around here lately, okay? I've seen it happen. I ain't never been college educated, but I'll tell you what I do know is that God done called me, you know, like that's the kind of guy that Amos is. And he says this, look, he says, I was not a punk book, bro. Let me tell you something. After he gets, after he gets cussed out by Amaziah, he says, I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't a prophet's son. I am not a big deal, but I was a, I was a herdsman. I was a dresser of sycamore figs. I picked figs for a living. Apparently there were people that did that in 755 BC. I picked fruit for a living and I took care of sheep. I literally know nothing except this, that God said something. Look at verse 15. He says, I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs, but the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy. I heard the call of God. Now following what he gave me. And there's some of you here who have even disqualified yourselves because of your background or because of your ped spiritual pedigree. Can I tell you something? Your calling in God has nothing to do with your spiritual pedigree, with your last name, with the degree that you're pursuing, with the amount of theological education you have. It has everything to do with the God who called you. And he who called you is able to bring to completion that which he began in you in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your level of education, whether you end up with a doctorate, an associate, or you barely even got through high school and didn't even quite get your GED. God can still use you. It doesn't matter because but God means that God can use you in any situation, no matter who you are, because he is bigger than the situation. I hope I was preaching to somebody. But, I, but this opposition is important. So he commands him never to prophesy. He says, look, I wasn't a prophet, but the Lord called me. I think it's worth it, actually, to turn over to Romans 8, 29 through 30, um, just, to, just to reinforce this. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, for those whom he foreknew, that is, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And listen to this. Those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. I love that Amos is honest about who he is. He doesn't pretend to be anybody. He's not fake. He's not, he's not, there's not an ounce uh, uh, of duplicitousness in him. He is just being honest about, look, I, I, here's what I know. God gave me this word. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. The Lord, the saving and calling grace of God. See, the, the gospel is that God, God qualifies the called. He doesn't call the qualified. So if you're here tonight, you feel like you're not qualified to be a Christian, you're not qualified to be a spiritual person, or you're not qualified to hear from God like Amos did, you're not qualified to be a prophet, or you're not qualified to share the gospel with somebody because you're too messed up and you're not quite there, guess what? The gospel wipes the slate clean. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it also says that by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the grace of God. The same grace that called Amos out of his obscurity. 
It's the same grace that calls you. And then that gets us into the resilience of Amos. He prophesies again. I love this. He's like, I'm going to do what I guess I'm going to have to do because I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to get, where was I? Oh, yeah, fire. Let's get back to the images, right? And then he goes right back into another vision, and he sees this. And, and what's crazy is right after this, so Amaziah confronts him to his face and says, look, you better shut up. You better stop prophesying. You better get out of this country or else. And then Amos, I cannot comprehend this boldness. He turns around and goes, guess what? Your, your wife, your kids are going to die in the streets, and this whole place is going to be leveled by the, by the destruction, destructive force of what's coming. You, personally, are going to suffer. And it's like, wow. I don't know if I'd have the guts to say that. I don't know. If God told me per, to personally proclaim that to somebody, I don't know if I'd, if I'd have the guts. But I can see something of the character of Venus. It's like, I can see why God picked this guy. He's tough. He's not going to back down. He hears the word. He's going to proclaim it. And so he does it. And then he brings the fourth vision, which is the fruit basket in chapter 8, verse 1. This is what the Lord showed me. Behold, the basket of summer fruit. When do you gather summer fruit? Well, ostensibly in the summertime. But I don't know. Too wild guess. Summer. Um, yes, it happens in the summertime, which is the end of harvest. That means time's up. This is it. And so this is an image of the end coming. It's and actually kind of it kind of rings with uh, if you're familiar with Matthew 13 and the the parable of the weeds. Jesus talking about the end of the age being like a harvest. And so what we see here is not an image of necessarily of Israel's immediate future, but an image of the long-term future to come when God judges the living and the dead. There's going to be a basket of summer fruit that gets gathered up. And then the songs become dirges, right? There's so many dead bodies there thrown everywhere. Silence! And then we get cut off right there. You're like, wow, Sam, thank you. This is my first time ever generating. I'm so glad. No, I'm so glad I came tonight. I love that this ends with so many dead bodies. I, I love this. Like, this is not like your Sunday school verse where it's like, Amen. Like, you don't have like kids like reciting this where it's like, Amos 3, the songs of the A3, the songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence! Yeah, you get a sticker, Johnny. You know, uh, anyway, this is not your Sunday school verse, but I will tell you this. There's something powerful about the grace of God at work in Amos. And I love that we get to see who, not just what he does, but who he is in this passage. So here's the question that we need to grapple with and something that we can learn from Amos. How culture, let's just be real. Culture is, is, is not always going to be friendly towards Christianity. I think we spent long enough waging a culture war, trying to get laws and trying to get things passed that agree with us. But honestly, we're just kind of fighting for our own preferences and, and uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, the church is. And it's a turnoff. It's a turnoff to the world. So how do you endure under hostility? How do you endure? A lot of, there's a lot of places in the, in the scripture where it calls for endurance. And I think Amos is actually a great model of this. Because it says, because first of all, how does he function under hostility? First of all, when he receives these incredible, like, live action images of what God's going to do, he responds, look at his response, he loves, so number one, Amos loves God's people. The first thing that, that, he, that, the, that the man or woman of God does and under hostility is you love God's people. 
There are a lot of people who will turn tail and run who will say, I don't want to be part of organized religion anymore. I don't want to be part of the church. Because those people are too... Uh, because, first of all, a lot of those people don't love the church enough. It's like, it's like, hey, I'm Jesus. Jesus, I love you. And he's like, this is my wife at the church. I hate her. Okay, you can't say that. Why? Because she's my wife. Okay? You can't. If, if you meet me... And I introduce you to my wife, Jamie. I'm like, hey, this is my wife, Jamie. You're like, I love, like, Sam, you are so awesome. I love you so much, and, and we should just hang out and be friends. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. And you're like, but don't want to hang out with Jamie. She's the worst. I'd be like, get out of my house. <laughs> get out. If you don't want to hang out with my wife, if you don't want to spend time with my wife, you're not spending time with the person that I love the most, that I have invested more time in than anybody else on this earth, somebody that I adore. So, <laughs> okay then you're not, like, that doesn't make sense, right? So we have to love the people of God through thick and thin. Are you a dedicated person? Are you a person who's willing to stick with a church body? Or are you somebody who has to hop from church to church because the worship wasn't cool or because I didn't like what the pastor said or whatever? So you go around canceling, 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 canceling until you find a church that you really like, but then it turns out that church has something that you don't really like and then you cancel that one. You will never be satisfied. Do you love the body of Christ and will you fight for her in prayer? Amos did not stop interceding. No matter how horrible the image was, he kept going, God, please change your mind. And God was waiting. It's like God was just waiting for him to say it. He's like, yes, I will. I will. I'm listening to you, Amos. What else does he do? Well, number, number two, he responds with humble truth. The humble truth. Oh, like, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a somebody, okay? He could have used this as an opportunity to make his platform big, right? He could have said to Amaziah, Thus saith the Lord, you know, like, let me tell you about my minute. Oh, by the way, I need you to give me a faith seed gift of $5,000 to hear this next word. You know, like, he could have done this whole, you know, he could have been a celebrity. He could have made himself a big deal. He could have said the things. And at that point, he could have gone like, okay, Amaziah, I am so sorry if I said anything that offended you. And maybe I should just change my prophetic image a little bit. He's like, yeah, if you could, like, stop saying horrible things. Like, yeah, yeah, I could say more positive things, right? Yeah, yeah, we could change it, right? We could change the message so it would be more palatable, but he doesn't. But I love that Amos, he doesn't change, but also he's humble. He's like, I was a, I was a shepherd, and then God called me to do this. And sometimes it's not a pleasant thing. I think a lot of times we want to look at the call of God. It's going to be this beautiful, amazing thing. But uh, I remember there's there's this old movie, We Were Soldiers. It's about the one, some of the first major battles of the U.S. Vietnam uh, of the, the U.S. War in Vietnam. And then uh, uh, there's a point in the film where uh, some of the so first American soldiers are starting to die, right? And uh, there's a, the there's a uh, the wife of one of the main characters. She is living in this military community in Georgia and. This, this taxi driver rolls up, and uh, he gets up to her door, and, she's, and she holds her breath because she sees in his hand a bunch of telegrams, right? Telegrams indicating the death of a loved one, and she, you know, catches her breath, and she opens, he knocks on the door, she opens it, and then he's like, ma'am, do you know where I, do you know where so-and-so lives? And then she just, like, freaks out on him, like, do you know what you just did to me? And she just explodes on this guy, like, do you know, I just... I thought, like, I, you know, she thought her husband was dead. And she's like, you know what you just did to me? And he's like, man, I'm sorry. I, I didn't sign up for this job. I, I just got to do it. And so she goes, let me have it. I'll do it. What if, and then she begins to deliver the messages, the hard ones. 
how many of us are willing to deliver a hard word or do the hard thing for the name of Jesus? Amos was humble enough to do it. And I love this. Lastly, it goes a lot right along with it. Amos continued to follow God. He did not stop. He kept on prophesying. His call was to be a prophet. Maybe your call is to operate in the gift of hospitality. And so no matter how messy your dwelling becomes, you still open it up to more people. Maybe your calling is to be an evangelist and you keep on having those conversations with people who are curious about Jesus and you just, you, you, you feel that call and you're like, it's really hard, it takes time out of my day, it takes effort, but I'm going to do the difficult thing. Maybe, and maybe for you, you just need to engage in a difficult conversation with somebody about a subject that you haven't wanted to talk about, but you need to. We, are, we need to love God's people, respond with humble truth, and continue to follow God. And really, when we look at Amos, what we see is a picture. And the picture is fulfilled in Jesus, who is the better Amos. Jesus never stopped loving God's people. He responded with the humble truth. When he was asked point blank, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? He said, I am. You will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And that's when, the, that's when he was accused of blasphemy, is put to death. But he continued to follow God through to the very end. That, right? And he did not quit, which is why the last words on his lips, as he's hanging there naked, for our sakes, was it is finished. He finished his race. He didn't give up. He is the better Amos. So when we look at him, really what we see is a small picture of who Jesus really is. Here's our questions for tonight. What's confusing about this passage? Where do you see the gospel in this passage? What does real opposition to God's calling look like and how do you deal with it? Okay, so when I say real opposition, I'm not talking about masks, okay? I know that's uncomfortable. We don't like to wear them and stuff. And I, I took mine off so I could speak, so maybe I'm a hypocrite. Okay, you can, fine, you can tell me that. But, um, I'm talking about what does it really look like to be opposed, to have God's calling on your life opposed, and how do you deal with that opposition? Do you just cancel out the voices that disagree with you? How do we, how do, we do this? And I, I'm not saying I have the answers to this question, but we need to talk about it tonight.